0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons. Today, we have a interview that Izzy and I did with the author Owen King. Owen was one of my creative writing professors at Vassar, and I thought it'd be really neat to bring him on the show and hear a little bit more about his writing and how he works through his stories and what his process is like. So that's what we'll be talking about in this episode. I hope you enjoy. Awesome. So if you want to just introduce yourself really quickly.
1: Hi there, I'm Owen King.
0: And then now we'll start the intro questions. So um, we only have four questions. First, okay. we want to know what your favorite book is.
1: Uh, what's my favorite book? Boy, <laughs> that's a tough, that is a really tough one. But I'm going to, because I I sort of have different, favorites that do different things um but i think the book i've read the most is great expectations by charles dickens uh Mm -hmm. and i i mean there's a number of things i love about the book i i love the patterning of the book um the the way that it it moves between this very um heartfelt and sad family story and this sort of romance that's never gonna, you know, that isn't really really fated to be for Pip. Um, The way it moves between that and the sort of comic moments that Dickens is so good at where, um, (laughs) you know, people will have the most characters will have the the funniest sort of mannerisms and sort of and so and and his way of um sort of emphasizing the quirkiness of the characters is, is so pleasing and so elastic um in the the sentences they they always have such a nice rhythm to them and like a they all like wind up like pocket watches and and also i i love the way that he feels um so close always when i read you know when you read the the first chapter of great expectations and pip goes and he's looking at the gravestones of his mom and dad and they're um i forget exactly how how dickens describes them but it's it's very precise the sort of lozenge Stones, and um, it's like you know the book is however many hundred years old, but two paragraphs in, and it's like he's telling it to me in the room, you know, and I don't always feel that um with classic novels i I mean, most of the time they're classics for a reason, and eventually you fall into that, you know and and you and you get over the hump of feeling like. Their, um, their language is, a, is a little different than ours. Um, and obviously the point of view is, it is really different from ours, but for whatever reason, I, well, I think mostly cause there's a, a certain modern quality to what he does and in the way that he, his echo goes through all the, so much of 20th and 21st century literature with him and with great expectations, especially I'm like in it right away. And, uh, it just, it, it feels, it feels so present. And so I, I love that book so much. It's so funny to me. And so moving to me. Uh, and I also, uh, one last thing I like that Pip isn't a hero in any, in the way that, that, um, you expect a hero to be, uh, and to, it, he He is full of um failing, and that appeals to me enormously i I don't have a ton of enthusiasm for books with like a with like a a character who's like yeah, that's the hero that's the person who's gonna save everybody um or that person she's the she's the good guy or he's the good guy um that's not something that appeals to me hugely. I really like it when the characters are flawed and I, I love how he's flawed and he's at the center of the book. And because that's what feels real to me to life. So sorry, sorry to give you a stem winder on great expectations. No, no worries.
2: Kind of rereading it. I read it, you know, years ago in high school, but now it feels so fresh. (laughs)
1: I, I read like this. Great. I read this great novel called Havisham by a writer named Ronald Frame, and um, and it's told from Miss Havisham's point of view. Mm-hmm. And it's so clever because the book explains some of the. I mean, a little bit of a spoiler alert here. Miss Havisham like lives in her wedding dress in the ruins of her home, and <laughs> certain things are unexplained, and you're always like well, she's been, like, wearing this wedding dress for how long, you know? And it's, like, sort of strains your disbelief. Uh, But one of the great things about the this Ronald Frame novel is that he figures out, you know, like, technical answers for a lot of stuff that Dickens just, you know, expects you to believe. And it's really cool. It's really cool. And it makes her very appealing in a strange way, the whole book.
0: Awesome. Awesome. There might be some overlap with this question. So who um, do you have a favorite author or writer?
1: Gee, uh, you know, I I think my wife is my my favorite writer. My my wife Kelly Braffitt, is a she's written. It's kind of my uh, well, she's published five novels, and I mean, it's a, this is a little bit of a cheat to the question, but one of the reasons I I I would love her novels is even if I didn't know her at all. Um, but it's very appealing to me um to i love the way that she thinks about stories and characters and i i love talking it through with her what she's trying to do and what she what she wants to do and so i mean it's a little bit of a cheat but that's i mean she's the person i read the most um and i'm closest to so I think that that's that she's my favorite author
0: that's a fair answer so
1: it is a little bit of a cheat i mean i it it, it's um you know a person that you essentially work with in some sense all the time you know
0: yeah i mean it's it seems interesting though that you have like this extra insight into into the stories too though
1: yeah and and you know we don't we don't write you know alike at all i wouldn't say but we have a second language where we can t- talk about especially just like narrative structure which which can be so challenging and and why a certain thing should happen and um ha- paying it off things like that it it can be very um I mean she's made me a much you know, For whatever it's worth in terms of the quality of my own writing, I know that I'm better for having talked so much to her about the way she structures her stories um, because she just has such an incredible knack for that. Um, So I'm sure I've stolen a lot from her process.
0: Our next question is kind of a silly one, but since our podcast has dragon in the title and we focus on fantasy. Are. We wanted to know if you have a favorite dragon.
1: Yeah, um I remember I I listened to I listened to the podcast. and I remember this coming up. I'd forgotten about it, but it's I I I can't think of a dragon that's important to me except for Smog. I I, I dig Smog and feel that he's classic. I like his whole style i like how much he reminds me of a cat you know and i remember seeing the um you know the the sort of um something suave about him and kind of um i don't know just his cunning and uh i like his whole uh his his, like rap his like you know his monologues that he does uh, when, um, who is it? Is it Bilbo that's climbing around in the, in the stones? Yeah, yeah I it's, it's Bilbo. Bo, that, yeah. yeah. I, I just love all the things he says. He's got such a cool, um, he's just got a, such a cool tilt to his, his language. And he feels very, I mean, he feels very English, but he, he just feels very, um, uh, alive, which is what you want from um, a, a like a supernatural character or a magic character. So you've got to like, right? I mean, you've got to figure out a, wa- a way to convince your audience that, you know, there's this gigantic lizard, winged lizard you know, sitting in a, a you know, a pit of gold and gems that's you know, vast beyond sight. And so, you know, seems to me like the genius of it is that he makes him talk in this way. That's instantly like, you know, this is such a creepy bully that lives in this hole, you know? And so you, <laughs> you, you believe that um, the dragon is real and that smog is real. And I think that um, for the, yeah, you know, I was never that into the later but to the other books, the, um, the trilogy, but the Hobbit to me was like full of stuff like that, where, yeah, I remember, what are they, like, orcs or something like that that get hit by sunlight and turn into stone? Um, yeah, those are trolls. Trolls, they're trolls. And, like, the way that they speak to each other, um, it was so rich, and uh, he just sells it. It, it. All And the elves were the same way. They had their own way, their own, like, super particular way of talking, and he just sells the magic creatures as, like, living beings, and uh, and Smog's like that. So, so he's my favorite dragon. I, I like the Game of Thrones dragons pretty well, but I don't know if I have a sense of them as like individuals, you know? Like mm-hmm. I've, I've read the four books, but I don't recall them being like, I guess they it, maybe in the show they got particularized, but I didn't see that. So what did you guys say for dragons?
2: I, well, I was a little disappointed with The Hobbit because Smog only shows up at the very end
1: Oh, Um, yes. I was hoping for more page time. time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, But I am a big Earthsea fan, Ursula Le Guin's um, Uh Earthsea saga, so I said Khaleeson, who's, like, the big, like, the oldest dragon in that series. Probably because it was one of the first dragons I could think of that has, like, a name. I've never read Aragon either, which is, like, another big dragon series, but um, is like, ageless, basically, and in that series i think dragons can't lie but they're very cunning uh-huh. and, um, because their language that they use is like the language of magic everything they say is like has to be true but they can say the truth in very specific ways that can confuse people uh-huh. um, but they're like basically creatures of magic and so hugely powerful and rarely come in contact with humans
1: and so they're good talkers
2: uh I don't remember the main character Ged does talk with the dragon at one point but it's been a while since I read the series so I don't remember how well the conversation goes but it's more like the metaphorical meaning of them is like embodying freedom and uh-huh. there's this other character to Hanu which um spoiler alert for those who haven't read the series she turns into a dragon and flies off to join Khaleeson and, and the other dragons way out in the west. That is sort of like like how you'd think of the elven lands in Tolkien with um, the far west being... The, well, Le Guin was definitely a huge fan of Tolkien, so maybe it has a little parallels on purpose uh-huh. of being the place where you go to that is like beyond mortality and beyond any kind of thing that could hinder you. So it's like freedom and pure... Um, life I guess independence and Kalesen definitely embodies that um, and Tahanu when she chooses to like embrace her dragon nature and become a dragon um, is sort of metaphorically carrying that on or I guess literally and metaphorically
1: that sounds great I've never read those I would love to I would love to I yeah. should the they're guy- fantastic what about you Peter what was your favorite dragon
0: yeah, my favorite dragon is very different. It's just toothless <laughs> from how to train your dragon. Yeah, he's, I like I, that he's cute he, and cuddly. I was
1: just, I was just thinking, oh yeah, that, guy, that's a good dragon. That's a good dragon.
0: Yeah. And that's the, the dragon in my book is not necessarily based off of him, but it's, it has that more like, oh, friendly vibe to it. So, but we also wanted, so our last kind of intro question is, um, since this is a a writing podcast, like, just what do stories and like writing mean to you? Like, why is it important to you um, that you are a writer and like that, that we have these stories in our
1: lives? Um, well, I don't know if I have any hugely uh, original things to say about that. I think I'm gonna have to let my cat out of the sermon a second. Um, I think that stories can help us understand the world. I mean, the world is endlessly complex, Right. And real life doesn't tend to um, to have a narrative the way that a novel will have a narrative. Um, it has got a lot more like you know sort of offshoots that don't um, that don't end in a satisfying way or ex explain anything um a a lot of life isn't um like the end of um well like the end of the hobbit where he makes his journey and comes back right it's a lot of unfinished journeys in real life and there's a lot of um there's a lot of unknowable things and 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 I think a good story often contains lots of unknowable things, but the um, fashion fashioning of uh, of a narrative can tell a story that holds echoes of the things in our real world that trouble us, or interest us, or amaze us, and uh, amuse us. And sort of um, sort them and, and make it uh, a meal that you can consume. And I think that that is... It, fiction has helped me relate to the world. It, it's helped me better understand people that I'm not sure that I... Or at least uh, maybe not understand, but empathize more with people... Uh, And I don't think that fiction's job is necessarily to teach us empathy, but that's one thing that it can do, right? Um, And so I think that that's something that stories do for us, is make sense out of the world and shape the world in a way that is easier to absorb. Um, And I think stories can comfort us and thrill us and we need all those things i mean we haven't got much time you know and so we we need these things that um help us get the the most joy and awareness out of our short existence as we can and i think that stories you know yeah i mean i think stories explain the world to us in a lot of ways and that's that's why i love them why i'm drawn to tell them i'm i i don't know what to say to that except that it's what i like to do you know and i i've never been too good at there's nothing else that i'm like especially good at i'm not even sure i'm that great at that but it is something that i i have a little bit of a facility for um and enjoy doing and uh And that's, that's why I do it.
0: That's awesome. I kind of want to, so going off of that, like, I'm really curious about what the writing process is like for you. And, I mean, you just mentioned you don't really know, like, why you necessarily write. But I'm curious, like, when you start a project, do you have, like, a specific idea in mind? Are you do you usually like try to tell your readers like something about the world or is it,
1: yeah. I, I, I never write with the, the kind of like the s- subtext in mind. Um, so I always feel like that's something that comes later, you know, like when you're, when I start it's, I have like a character or a scene or a whole plot in mind and i want to tell that i want to i want to find out what that character's doing or i want to see what the next scene is after the scene i thought of or i want to tell that whole story that i thought of and that's always you know front of mind is can i get from beginning to the end of this narrative um without losing interest, without feeling like I've hit a wall in terms of the voice that I'm using. Um, Is there enough here to keep someone entertained for however long it's going to take to get through the story, through, through the narrative. Um, And then after I have a draft or, you know, maybe once in a while when I'm three quarters of the way through, I might think to myself, Oh, it, it seems to me that this aspect of the story um, is something is, is, is my reaction to some experience or, um, some feeling that I, that I've been working through and I'll want to focus on that, you know, and I'll want to, I'll want to see if I can do more with that on the theory that, you know, maybe some other people have had the same feeling or, you know, the same experience or will relate to it in some way, because hopefully, you know, someone's going to relate to what you wrote somehow or other, because if they're totally indifferent, they're never going to read it. Right. Um, So I don't, I, I definitely don't, um, I don't think of a whole lot except the story and the characters and the, you know, how can I keep, make sure that this is interesting or and or you know compelling or entertaining or however you want to describe that though that's what i'm thinking about when i'm writing the first draft it's only later that i that i might consider you know if it has something bigger thematically in mind and how to bring that out you know i'm trying to think like you know something like um I was thinking it's been years and years since I read it, but there was that there's that Sinclair Lewis novel called "It Can't Happen Here," and I think what happens in the book is that there's like a a fascist takeover of the United States, and it's set in the 20s or 30s, and uh, or or if you think of something like Animal Farm by Orwell, it's like it seems to me that that they must have started out. Um, like very much thinking, okay, I'm going to, I want to transmit a a political message here. And I, it's been a while for both books and I liked them both a lot, but that to me seems extremely challenging to be like, I'm gonna, because it would be very hard to not oversell it. Right. Mm -hmm. But of course, both those books are a little bit over the top. So maybe that's not, maybe that wasn't a concern, but I think that's why I think that there's hope that there's subtext to the things that I write because I've worked on those things, but I also don't, I worry that if I thought about it too much, it would end up feeling um, like I was pushing it too hard. And you, you want those, you want any sort of subtext to feel like seamlessly knitted into the, into the story, if that makes any sense. You want it to be. You want it. You don't want the reader thinking all the time. Oh, he's making a really good point about. You, you know this. This goes to show the way that these bankers in this book are acting goes to show that our financial system is hopelessly corrupt. Right. You don't want them to be thinking that when you want them to finish the book and be like, you know. There is there is like a, a a real corrupted quality to the culture around these bankers, you know, and I it seems to me that speaks to do you see what I mean? What the difference is, kind of like you want you don't want it to to um, take over, or at least I I I would be leery of it of of some sort of political message or something along those lines, like um kind of jumping up and obscuring the forward motion of my story i want it to like kind of land with a thump at the end or or like slowly climb over the shoulders of the reader and have them thinking about it then oh wow we've only got nine minutes left ten minutes left oh, no. okay. <laughs> yeah i lost the track on that one
0: all good i think your answer was really interesting and like especially you referencing animal farm just like really quickly um i'm kind of like comparing it to this other book my favorite book from fifth grade was, it was called Poppy. It was by an author named Avi. And on the face of it, it's just like a fun adventure about a mouse who goes, and, like, fights an owl, um, and finds like a new house for the, for the mouse family to like go and live in. And the other day I was like, but wait, this book is really about like fighting disinformation where like the owl is kind of controlling all the news that the mice get. Um, uh huh. And it's the owl was like, oh, don't go near the porcupine. Like the porcupine will eat all the mice. And then like the mouse meets the porcupine, and the porcupine's like, what are you talking? Like I'm a vegetarian. Right. And the mouse right. learns like, oh, the porcupine's the only thing that can defeat the owl. So it's like, oh wow, like you don't necessarily like have to see that this is like a mouse fighting against disinformation, but um, it- it's there. I mean, it took me a lot of years to just like randomly think about that. Whereas like Animal Farm, you're right. It's very like you can't not see all the things that Orwell's trying to say. Um, may
1: I ask you guys a question? Oh yeah, yeah. What is so you you're you're sort of using the the time to talk about um, creative writing? What are the what would you say is a major thing that you guys eat each? Struggle against, or, or like, what's what's like the main challenge that you face in your writing? Do you think
2: it's? I mean, it all all writing is kind of a journey and so many steps, and it has been really great to do the workshop of your novel. And I think partly it's just a matter of continuing to polish the stone and not, you know, losing steam. And I think that for myself is one of the things I can run out of steam, and I'll be like, oh, I got an idea i wrote one page and i'll write notes down and then never finish the actual story because i'll be like it's in my head and the words are not perfect enough to come out um so i guess it could also be a little perfectionism
1: yeah yeah i think that the i mean one thing that's helped me is i had the i i did have a, an advantage I've had, a, I've had a lot of advantages in my life i should say um, very lucky, but one thing that helped me was a little bit of a challenge to me as a, as a younger child is that my parents were writers. And so I knew that they were like going to work, you mm-hmm. know, that like the door would close and you'd hear the keys and then they would just be doing it. You know, they'd just be writing, you could come back an hour later and you hear the same sound, you know, cause it was typewriters in those days. Um, makes me makes me sound really old um and so it was like the routine of it when I was young that kind of scared me because I was like this is like the world's most boring office job and you're all by (laughs) yourself you know but but then later as I got older and I and I wanted to write more and I just thought to myself well I'm just gonna it's there's no getting around it. I'm going to have to do it like they did it. You know, I'm going to have to like sit down for a specified period of time. And, and for years, it was like a task, you know, like probably from the time I was like about, you know, 19 to the 20, all the way through grad school, probably, till I was 25, 26 doing it for like six years or something like that of writing regularly, you know, pretty much every day for an hour or two, if I could or or more, hopefully um, if I had the time. Um, And then at some point in there, it became like second nature, you know? And in that way, I think that writing can get to be more, if surprisingly like just playing a musical instrument you know if you just do it every day y- your fingers learn and you just go and also i think you know i've been better the last decade about finishing things like i i used to do this thing where i'd mm-hmm. i'd write like five pages of a story i'd be like gee i hate this I think I'll write something else, you know, uh, or like, this is very unsatisfying. I'm just going to start something new. And these last two years, I've kind of been like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'll like write something and I'll give it a pass and think a little bit of what I've done, but mostly I'm just going to keep going forward. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll save the rewriting until I have, you know, at the very least, if it's like a book or something, you know, let's get 25 pages or something before I start you know, slaving over the, you know, each sentence and get the pencil. Mm -hmm. out. I don't know that, that might, that might help, but it is hard. You know, it's, it's very hard to be like, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be in my head. Mm -hmm. And you write and you look at it and you're like, well, this is good. But I, I had something really awesome in mind. And if I can tell you one thing, it's that, you know, like Zadie Smith's first draft, is not that great, you know, like, she's so awesome, but I bet it takes her a couple drafts to, like, get it, you know, and she would be like, my first draft is terrible, you know, we'd read it and be like, well, it's pretty good, you know, <laughs> but, like, she's not got it perfect the first time through, right, uh, and I bet that, and it's true of, like, any writer you love, I'm positive that they don't get it right the first time, there's multiple drafts involved, and, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, allow yourself to not be great before you can be great I think what that... we, we got like two minutes and 30 seconds i want to hear what's what. what's an obstacle for you i
0: mean so many i i don't know if i solved the obstacle of finishing things but the technique that i've been doing for for the book that i wrote i didn't write it in chapters i wrote it in nine short stories um almost like in my mind i was like this is a tv show it's not a, like a chapter book so like it was easier to finish, like, each individual story, and then they just, like, you know, go into the next story. Um, and I think the challenge right now is, like, trying... I would love to publish it, but, like, making that leap from, oh, like, kid who just writes for fun to, can I can I share this with other people? Um, so I think that's been kind of, like, daunting and something I'm just trying to, like, figure out. And also, like you were saying before about, like, political messages like overtaking the story sometimes whereas like my my story definitely came more from like oh there's different ideas and themes that i wanted to tell and then the characters and the world kind of like built out from there um and going back and like trying to make sure that like you know they those things are balanced so there's a lot of struggle
1: no way there's no right way to do it <laughs> though you know like yeah it's not like um building a house You know, I mean, at the end of it, the book or the story or whatever is like a full complete structure, but it's not like you got to start from the floor up, you know, you could write the ending first or the middle first or, you know, write all the things the first time through that are the things you don't want to write. You know, there's like that old Elmore, uh, Elmore Leonard writing advice, which is like, I, he says he, he leaves out the parts that people skip. You know, like maybe you have to write the parts that people skip first, and then the rest of it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, we have less than a minute. I just want to say thank you, Owen. I really appreciate. Thank you for having me.
1: I, I I I hope everything goes great, and give me a holler sometime, and I'll come back and visit. And you guys can tell me. I want to hear more about what you're writing. We we didn't get to that part.
2: Yeah. Thanks so I, much.
1: Yeah. We'll do it next time. Yeah. I want to hear what you guys are doing. Okay. Okay. Thank
0: That'd you, Owen. Thanks for having me. It was Thanks nice so to meet much. you. Great to meet you too. And that concludes our interview with Owen King. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. As always, you can check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, including a discussion Izzy and I had about the Word Museum in Washington, D.C. You can also check us out on Twitter and on Instagram, and share the pod with your friends and family. That's it for now. But remember, don't let the day drag on.